0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Jeff Mendelson and this is the One Big Tip podcast. My guest today is Sofia Matveyeva. She is the CEO and founder of Tech for Non-Techies, an educational company and consultancy. She hosts the top-rated Tech for Non-Techies podcast, which teaches non-technical professionals how to speak tech and succeed in the digital age through corporate and individual training programs as a non-technical founder. Sophia has co-created apps and algorithms that have been used by thousands. She sits on the board of the university of Chicago's alumni in the UK, and also contributed to the Harvard business review, financial times, the guardian and forms on entrepreneurship and technology. So this is going to be an excellent conversation today. I'm really excited. Sophia, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the show.
1: Jeff, I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for
0: having me. I love the fact that you you have been published in all of these different places. It sounds like you've had such a great career and also the part about you know just you know teaching non-technical people how to speak tech, understand tech and really just uh, you know use it as a skill in order to improve themselves not only themselves but also their company, I think is a, a very unique proposition for you. So can you please tell us a little bit about who you are and what makes you so amazing?
1: Wonderful question. Thank you very much, Jeff. As Jeff was saying, I run a company called Tech for Non-Techies, and my aim is to help people have wonderful careers that are fulfilling financially and also really interesting and and future-proof. So I started my career outside of the technology sector. Because I think this is what most people kind of around my age, kind of late 30s, that's what we did. So when I was graduating from college in 2005, Facebook had existed for literally a year. So when I was graduating, most of my friends were going into banking or consulting or advertising or maybe kind of some kind of government service. The tech sector wasn't really a thing we considered. So I worked in the media. I worked in private equity. Then I got my MBA at Chicago booth, and that's when I was really thinking that okay, I want to transition out of these traditional fields into the world of technology. And you know, being very ambitious and probably overconfident, I ended up starting a technology startup, a retail tech company, and raised about a million dollars and ended up hiring a team. So, the first time I really started collaborating very practically with developers was when they were working for me. (laughs) Now, the good thing, I suppose, was that nobody could fire me. But the bad thing was that I was in a situation where I really, really needed to learn. And this is when I really understood that actually there is this huge gap for business people that, you know, for business people, I didn't want to become a developer. But I had no idea how to work with a developer. And those are different skills. And the more I learned, the more I ended up seeing that actually there are a lot of people like me. So people who have always wanted to have a great career, people who are dedicated, people who are hardworking, maybe you got an MBA or maybe you've already invested a lot in your learning and you're very ambitious and you're working really, really hard in your job, in the business world. And then kind of the tech sector comes along and sucker punches you just unexpectedly. And then you're wondering, okay, well, what is all of this stuff about? Do I have to completely retrain? What skills do I really need to succeed in the digital age? And this is the question that I was asking myself when I was running my first technology startup, because my colleagues, the developers, would literally say words like, you know, we're building the backend on Ruby on rails. And I was thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And then I was thinking, well, do I need to learn to code? What do I need to learn to do? And I started basically figuring that out by speaking to other successful people who are non-technical in tech. And that's when I really learned what you need to know. So i learned that you need to understand the core concepts rather than the skills. And what I mean by that is you need to understand what is a back end, what is a front end? Like, how do they interact with each other? You need to know cool words, like what an API is and how you can use it as part of your business strategy. But you don't actually need to build it yourself. And this is where I think a lot of smart and ambitious people, where we go wrong, is that we think okay, I'm going to learn all the things. I'm going to do all the things. I am never going to sleep. I'm just going to take courses and go to work. And you know, I tried that and it doesn't work. So I do not recommend it.
0: You know, what's interesting about that story is that I did it in the, exactly the reverse where I was the developer. I was never a good one. Right. So I was never, I could never claim to be like one of those ace programmers that never showered or anything like that. Wasn't me. Right. But what happened was I would be the person who would try to, who would really try to learn all this stuff. And it just seemed like every year another programming language or another concept was coming out, you know, for, you know, as soon as you learned, you know, C++, it's like, no, wait a second. You got this new thing called Ruby on Rails. No, you should be doing it in Python. Why aren't you doing it in Visual Basic? And it's like, oh my God, would you guys please stop? Would you please just choose one? Right. And the truth of the matter is, you know, it's like at the end, of the, like when you go and you buy your BMW, right. Do you really care? I, I mean, I'm sure there are a few gearheads here, right. Who are going to be like, oh yeah, they know every little, you know, nook and cranny of that engine. But do you really care about how great that engine is versus, you know, like a Mercedes or whatever, you know, totally different technologies, but they both, at the end of the day, get you to where you need to go, right? No different than say a bank, you know, like if you bank with Wells Fargo or you bank with Bank of America, like they're both going to offer you pretty much identical services, right? And I think one of the cool things that you hit on is really just trying to understand that, okay, so I'm not going to be fingers on keyboard making, you know, making these algorithms work. But as long as you understand the possibilities, what the future looks like, you know, then you have a much better chance of a hiring for that success, and B actually making it happen. So my big question here is, you know, let's just call it seeing the light, right? Once you started to understand what the what the possibilities are, how did that change you as a startup founder, and then allowed you to, you know, to have better conversations uh, with your team and to create better products.
1: you know, I basically just became much better at my job because when I was, you know, in my first ever position as a CEO, you know, because as a startup founder, this is what you become and you're completely untrained for it. And you're wondering like, what am I, what does leadership look like? How much am I supposed to supervise? How much am I supposed to check? And especially I think when you're non-technical and a part of your team is technical, there's this, I certainly felt this huge amount of insecurity of like, well, I don't know what they're talking about. Can I really be a good leader of people who are doing something that I, I don't understand? And then, you know, I heard I learned about syntax errors in code. And I was thinking, does that mean I have to learn to review code and find syntax errors? <laughs> because you know, that's gonna take me a long time to figure that out. But once I figured out actually, that I need to set a goal that is going to be applicable to the engineers that's going to be applicable to the product team. So my job is to set a goal within a particular time frame, and then it is up to them to figure out how to get there, because this is what leadership is. You know, let's imagine just, let's imagine a kind of your standard boardroom where you have the CEO, the chief technology officer, chief marketing officer, you know, you have, you have maybe legal counsel, all of those professionals are there because they have different expertise. And the whole point of the CTO is that they can't do this chief marketing officer's role and vice versa. They are fundamentally different jobs, but they are all working towards the same goal. So maybe for that quarter, or maybe for that, yeah, that goal is to increase revenue, or maybe it's to cut cost, or maybe it is to enter new markets. And each one of those professionals is working towards that goal, but with their own specialty and with their own brand of genius.
0: You know, I love that because the CEO of UPS, for example, doesn't fix his trucks, right? And the CEO of Best Buy, you know, like the largest technology chain, you know, he's probably never rung up a customer at the, you know, at the cash register in order to do it. And I think that's, when you say it out loud, it almost sounds like a, like a stupid statement, like, duh, you didn't know that, right? But at the same time, it's like, well, that's how you scale, buddy, right? That's how you, mm-hmm. that's how you make this happen. Like you can't just like, you know, being a startup owner, uh, you know, a start, a startup founder doesn't mean that you have to be great in all of these different things, right? You just need to know how to lead. You just need to know how to make sure that you're getting all of this, all of this information together and you're rallying the troops so that they can all move towards a common goal. And, you know, like you said, it's, it, it is definitely and squarely a leadership skill. Right. And I think that's so important. Right.
1: So I think we have this misconception and I certainly have this misconception, especially of tech companies, because look at the stories that we hear about tech founders in the press. It's basically two guys in a garage building something with their bare hands or it's two guys in a dorm room building something with their bare hands and you know when we think of a tech founder we think of mark zuckerberg or we think of elon musk and you know they're very successful people it, they have literally changed the world that totally makes sense but There are also very, very successful non technical founders of tech businesses. So let's have a look at Brian Chesky. His background was design, and it was really, it was basically selling space on his sofa bed for a design conference that started Airbnb. Uh, let's look at Katrina Lake. She is the CEO of Stitch Fix. Um, they had, I think, the largest IPO in the US for, for the year they IPO. Anyway, very, very successful, lady, very successful company. And um, she started her career in management consulting, and she got an MBA. So she, she has a background more similar to mine than to Mark Zuckerberg's. And um, what I find is that now technology has actually moved on. So yes, you have deep tech companies like DeepMind, where you really do need a technical CEO, where you really do need a technical founder to actually understand what's going on. But there are a lot of businesses kind of like Stitch Fix, which started with technology. They are still a tech company, but really their core, their core competencies, understanding their customers, creating something that their customers would want and commercializing it. So they're kind of less bothered about being at the forefront of AI, kind of like DeepMind is, and much more about customer satisfaction, marketing, commercialization. So companies like that can be, and often should be led by non-technical founders who actually understand commercialization, who understand marketing. But in order for those people to lead those companies, they can't just be you know, a great retail lead. They do need to understand what a data scientist does. But that's not the same thing as being a data scientist. Working with tech people and being a tech person are two different skill sets. But what I think people need to do to get inspired, but also to take relevant action, is to see how non-technical people are succeeding in the tech world. Because those, those stories are not really being told, but there are lots and lots of those stories if you search for them.
0: So what would be the first or most critical step for a digital leader who is not technical in order to stick their big toe into this world and be effective? How does that look?
1: So the first thing that I would recommend is basically remove choice. Um, There is absence, uh, there's freedom in the absence of choice. What I mean by that is uh, make some sort of Public commitment to essentially learning. And I don't mean put, you know, enroll for a course and put it up on Facebook because that does not count. <laughs> what I mean is, for example, you could set up a weekly meeting with your technical counterparts and literally tell them what you're working on, ask them what they're working on. Just have this be like a half an hour situation. You talk for 10 minutes, they ask you questions for five, or, you know, and you, then you do the same thing. them so they talk for 10 minutes you ask them questions and literally in that situation no question is a stupid question and what you need to remember in these situations is that both of you are equals there is this tendency to think oh the tech people are geniuses and i don't know what i'm talking about so i'm just the stupid one no the tech people need to learn to speak business just as much as you need to learn to speak tech so the first thing i'll do is literally put yourself in the situation where you have to learn. Another thing I would do is actually learn the language of technology. Um, so this is something that I do at Tech techies You could literally start listening to the Tech techies podcast. You'll learn a lot of the language of technology there. But remember, that's not the same thing as taking a Python course, because that's doing with I'm talking about learn to speak tech. And then the third thing that I would recommend is find people who are, doing what you want to be doing either you know if you can actually get connected to them and speak to them that's obviously the best option but what I did right at the beginning as a non-technical founder I would literally just google successful non-technical founders and I would read everything about them Now on the Tech Fund techies podcast I actually interview people who are non-technical so people who don't have backgrounds in computer science who are succeeding in tech as founders as investors as digital leaders, Because what you need in this journey is you need two things. You actually need the information, so you need to learn how to speak tech. But you also need to see that other people that you identify with are doing it. Because I think kind of entering into this tech world can sometimes be very intimidating. Because sometimes maybe you'll go to a hackathon or maybe you'll listen to a podcast. And it's just going to be all abbreviations and jargon. And then that's going to make you feel like, oh, my God, there's no point. I'm never going to get it. Like, I'm I'm out of here. I'm just going to do what I know. So this is why finding examples of people who've done it before, that's just going to help
0: you keep going. How do you feel that once someone achieves this foundational level of tech literacy, how does that help them? in their business and their startup to then become successful and have better conversations. How do you see that manifesting itself?
1: Well, I can actually, I can give you an example of a company that we all know and some of us love Starbucks. So I recently found out that 54% of the revenue that Starbucks makes in its stores. So 54% of in store revenue comes from the Starbucks app. Um, isn't that fascinating? So, literally more than half of the revenue that they're getting in their cafes comes from an app. So, what does this mean for the company and what does this mean for the leadership team? Starbucks is still a coffee chain. It is not a tech company. So its main specialty is sourcing coffee and you know, making cakes and sandwiches and also real estate management. Like this is really what it needs to do. But Given that more than half of its in-store revenue comes from its app, the management team has had to understand, okay, how do you build an app? Who has to be involved in it? How do we measure success? How do we set success metrics? What? And also, if you, find, if you actually investigate why the app is so successful, the reason why it's so successful is because it's so personalized. For those of you who use the Starbucks app to get your coffee You know that the Starbucks app knows what kind of coffee you like. Obviously, it knows your name. It knows your birthday. So on your birthday, maybe you'll get a treat. It also probably has an idea of when you are going to want to be healthy and when you want to get something sweet. So that is personalization. And that comes from AI. So what does that mean? That means that the senior management of a coffee company have had to learn about app development, user experience design and technology, Personalization by AI now are they still a coffee company? Yes, they are, but they've also had to have an entirely different skill set which they probably never expected to have to learn when they were first starting to work in a tech company so I just think this is such an example of you know if you want to succeed in today's economy, I don't care what you're doing whether you're making Whether you're a startup founder or a corporate leader, if you want to succeed in the economy today, you need to learn to speak tech because it's just a part of your job.
0: You know, I love that you brought up the Starbucks example because I used to be there every morning, right? And I would always be fascinated by the types of specials and the sprints that they ask you to go through. You know, like buy three coffees and, you know, within the next three days and you get an extra 50 stars. Right. But then, you know, I started working from home more and I have a really cool Nespresso machine. So I don't need to go out and spend five, six dollars on a coffee anymore. Right. Now, when I go there, I get different types of offers. Right. And mm-hmm. I realize it's not just somebody pulling the levers, you know, like, oh, offer him this and then offer him that. You're right. It's it's by AI. I recognize it. Right. But the thing is, is that it's mm-hmm. so subtle. It's so mm-hmm. subtle that it's like, uh, you know, and it makes sense. Right. It's not something that should, that feels like it's shoved in your face. Like, you know, like some kind of offer that's not related to exactly what it is that you're doing. They are always offering me special, you know, like mocha specials. Why? Because the only thing I drink there is my double tall mocha. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. why, it'll, like, why would I change it? And you're right. The whole personalization part is just, it is so it's spot. Up. It's so spot on. Right. It's Mm -hmm. so handle it it handles everything. And, you know, it's such a poignant example of what, you know, like of what is possible. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. that's, and I think that's one of the things that really makes this, this stuff really special. So let me ask you something. So pretend you're Howard Schultz, right. And you Mm -hmm. need to go and, you know, go down this uncharted path for your company where would you look first? I mean, you you know, it's one thing to, you know, to tell your HR people, all right, I need 10 app developers. Right. But you know, it's more than that. You know, there are a little bit more thinking needs to happen. How would you ask a startup founder to go down this path and do it right instead of firing on all pistons and seeing what, seeing what fails and seeing what works? Mm
1: -hmm. One of the first One of the biggest mistakes startup founders make is going straight to development and hiring developers, which costs a fortune, by the way, small fortune, but still, and actually forgetting the design process. So I used to think that design was about, you know, logos and beautiful things and couture, basically nothing to do with technology. And only when I started working in tech, I actually realized that there is a whole discipline called design for technology. And again, it's not just about making things. The first part of design is research. So user research. So the first thing that I would recommend for anybody to do is research your users, but don't just do it. You know, don't just create a survey monkey based on the questions that you think you should ask, like professional designers, learn how to do user research professionally. So either hire a designer or listen to some design podcasts, get some design books, learn how to do user research properly because every product is a solution to a problem. Designers know that. And whenever a product is successful, it's because they're solving a particular problem. So first work with designers to research the problem, research the users, then make a prototype, which is something that looks like an app and feels like an app, but actually doesn't have any code. So it's a much, much cheaper thing to make because yes, you will need to work with a designer, you might need to hire somebody to work with you part time, but a designer, one designer, part-timer, one designer for a design sprint for a week is much cheaper than getting a back-end and a front-end developer. So you iterate your, des- your research, you make a prototype then, then you test that prototype, you iterate. Only when the prototype has been tested, only when you actually have a prototype of of a, of a very simple product, you know, not not an equivalent of Facebook now with all sorts of features A very, very simple bare minimum product. Can you work with developers? And I find that a lot of companies, a lot of corporates all startups just think, I've got this idea, let's hire developers and move ahead. And that always ends up being a phenomenal waste of money.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, it's actually really true. You know, like when you try to, uh, when you try to use the, the, uh, you know, the crowbar method, that's what I call it. You know, like when you just try to, when you just try to bang something into shape and it's just, no, I mean, it's so much easier to, to, to make it look beautiful from the start instead of just trying to make it work afterwards. And you see so many different examples of that, you know, like in different you know, in different technologies and you know, like, I can spot it now, you know, simply because I was in that type of, uh, I was in that type of role. It's like, yeah, this is an afterthought. No, this was well thought out, you know, and you could, Mm -hmm. you, you know, by going to your example with the Starbucks app, you're right. This was very well thought out from the beginning and it, it um, rightfully so became more than half of their revenue because that's what everyone had, you know, it's a perfect addition to what everyone already had at- before they even arrive in the stores, you know? So.
1: Well, this is why, you know, I find that that consumer companies tend to basically have better design um, than B2B companies. And the reason is that, The further you move away from competition, the worse the design gets. So for example, if Starbucks had a terrible app that nobody could work out how to use. Realistically, do you have other coffee shops around that you could go to? Like there are a lot, like you can get coffee. Coffee is a commodity product. (laughs) The app is one of the things that gets you to come back to Starbucks as as opposed to go to all of the other coffee shops you could get to. But if your company, you know, imagine you work in a corporate and your company has bought some sort of software and you all have to use it and you hate it, but you have this contract, like you are using it for the next two years, no matter how much you cry. But then also let's take it to the, to the extreme tax software. So when you actually have to file your taxes, does it, is it a pleasant and easy process like, is it a, I'm just going to fill it out at an hour and, you know, go skip into the sunset. No, like it makes you, you know, in their defense,
0: they tried their best to make it a pleasant experience, but yeah, it still sucks. Bad.
1: It still sucks. <laughs> but the thing is, if you don't do it, what will happen to you? you will get arrested. You'll have to pay a fine. So basically you have no choice. So you, like there is no competition because your only competition is really becoming a fugitive. So like you deal. You deal with this software. You hire somebody to to do it for you, or you become a fugitive. That's not a realistic choice for most people. <laughs> not like Starbucks versus just another another coffee shop. So I find that you know, if you want to, if you work in innovation, you work in digital transformation, or you want to be a startup founder, and you really want to understand design, you want to find good design. Look at the consumer companies because that's where. Design is super, super competitive, and that's where it really matters. The further you move away, basically, the higher the switching cost, the worse the design is.
0: Wow, very poignant. Thank you so much for sharing that. Sophia, where can people learn more about your company, and how can they reach out to you directly?
1: I would love for you to reach out to me directly. So, uh, first of all, listen to the Tech for Non-Techies podcast. There are lots of useful lessons and useful examples there that you can get for free. Also, if you go to the Tech techies website, you will get my free guide to the top 10 concepts in technology that non-technical professionals need to know. So I mentioned some of them today, like API, back-end, front-end, and there are even pictures, so it's very easy to follow. So just go to techfonontechies.co. And if you want to reach out to me directly, just find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. That's Sophia Matveva.
0: Sophia, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a lovely discussion, and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us about this. It's been fascinating.
1: Thank you very much, Jeff. I have really enjoyed this conversation.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the One Big Tip podcast. If you're a six to eight figure entrepreneur, business coach, or speaker who would like to be on this show, we need to talk.